You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange with me, Sarah Raven, and my partner in crime, Arthur Parkinson. Now, actually today, it's mainly going to be Arthur's episode, although I'm going to chip in, because one of the things he's become increasingly passionate about is the sowing of perennial wildflower meadows. And I'm going to chip in a bit about annual meadows, but he's been really inspired by his dad's garden in Nottingham. So we thought we would do a whole thing because now is a really good time to be sowing these sorts of things. And so it's it's incredibly sort of apt. So over to Arthur, will you tell us all about why you've fallen in love with them? Yeah, I think it's probably been because of the the weather just not being on the side of container gardening this year much. I found it such a stress watering endlessly and whenever I've gone to see my dad's garden in Nottingham which was formerly my my nan's garden which I had a lot to do with it's become much more wilder since my dad's took over and I've before we did this episode I was scrolling back through my Instagram to find a photo of my nan sowing the original packets of wildflower seed onto what was her leek bed mm. and that was back in 2016. Wow. So from there from that point to now that's how long it's taken for this this area of, of my dad's garden to become a, a wildflower meadow. Gosh. But I was talking to you about this and you were quite surprised at the the fact that we'd sowed wildflower seed onto just vegetable beds, which had pretty much been abandoned because what happened was my, my grandma had a shoulder accident. Mm. So she couldn't garden anymore quite suddenly. So quite drastically, we had to turn this very thin and long garden into something that was less high maintenance. So this huge square vegetable bed, which, you know, was used for growing leeks and purple sprouting, slowly became wildflowers. And it started off quite natural, actually. The foxgloves self-seeded themselves, so we'd got them in. And there was always opium poppies because you get them when you're disturbing the soil, yes. digging for your veg, don't you? They naturally love the disturbance. So they were there. And so I just remember going to a local shop that sold seed called Wilco's. Yes, you're a great fan of Wilco's. Yeah, spending uh, probably £10 on whatever wildflower seed mixes they'd got. So I think we chucked on, you know, butterfly bombs and Mm. various things. And slowly, slowly, this vegetable bed became its own little creature. And it did need managing. The good thing was, because it had been double dug, I think probably for 40 years, we didn't have any perennial rooty weeds so there was no ground elder in it or vine weeds so that I think was a big help yeah so all we really had to do was take out docks every couple of months and and actually dandelions but I probably won't take dandelions out now knowing how good they are for bees yes and what was lovely was there was a herb bed next door to the leek bed so I think they intermingled with the wildflower seed packets that we put down and so just to take us up to date what we've got now is a real like marzipan mess of oxide daisy, mm. the perennial cornflower. Mm. We've got yarrow. But what we've got, which is actually the highlight for me, is swades and rivers of marjoram, mm. which have really created dense carpets 
uh, and lemon balm. So they have all intermingled. Wow. And so this whole square is just a constant buzz of insects. We've just um, actually cut it down. We tend to have to cut down the oxide daisies first. Yeah, because they take over, don't they? Well, they very quickly look actually quite dead and messy. Okay. I mean, it, it's nice in a way that they are thuggish. And I was just going to say this, you know, if if you want a thuggy wildflower, I, I couldn't recommend oxide daisies enough. And I know that you have oxide daisies that have pretty much taken over your your area, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, they have, they have. Um, exactly. And are you trying to manage that or have you, have you just allowed them to go crazy? Well, I love the wild carrot. And so I don't want mm. the um, oxide daisies to completely drown out the wild carrots. So I do tend to cut them down by hand, not all of them, but just sort of, mm. you know, with some shears, I'll just cut them before they start seeding more. But um, just going back to the marjoram, so that's Oregonum vulgari, isn't it? So it's the Yeah, that you've got in your herb garden. Exactly. It's the true Greek, which isn't mm. completely reliably hardy, but uh, it obviously is self-seeding enough that you've got um, new yeah, generations. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm. really is. Yeah. I mean, what's nice is it's been such a success on the back garden that since my dad's moved into this house, there's a front garden. Mm. And my dad, like you, loves a camper van. Um, So he had to widen the drive when he moved in. So that meant half of what was the front formal lawn had to be dug out. And so we just dug it all out by hand and chucked it onto the bit of lawn that was left. And that was great because it meant we'd just got a, a brown square. Yeah. And it was this time last year. So we'd already started to cut down the meadow on the back garden. So we just took all the the rakings and oh. cuttings off the meadow at the back and yeah. spread them all over the brown square. Yeah. And exactly the same thing has happened. The oxide daisies this year from being scattered on the stem, as it were, have germinated. And this year they've flowered for the first time and they've looked incredible for weeks. That's so good. So literally just not even taking the seed heads off, just taking the whole stem and just laying it out on the, the new fresh ground. Onto bare soil. And then, you know, after probably after six weeks, after it looked really a, a mess with all the stalks, we just raked it all up and took it all brilliant. off. But of course, all the chaff and the seed had by then f- fallen off. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I mean, that reminds me, I mean, at Great Dixter, the wonderful, wonderful Christopher Lloyd garden that Fergus Garrett looks after, near here in East Sussex, which is one of my favourite gardens in the world. But they have this really wonderful thing where they've got grassy meadows with wildflowers. So yours, you're not encouraging the grasses, you want the plants more than the grasses. And what they do is that they scythe, cut it, a lot of it hand-cutted, but I think some of it's machine harvested. And then you can go and get at the right time of year, which probably is sort of July, August, isn't it? you can go and get a bag of their cuttings. And in exactly the, the way that you've described, you, you let not out uh, over bare soil, but over your your wildflower lawn area, your grassy area, and you allow it, again, just you leave it and you allow the seeds to drop down in. And they are spreading orchids throughout the whole of this part of wow. um, England through exactly this process. And you yeah. don't need to do all the harvesting of the seed and the drying of the seed. You can literally just distribute it. And so we've actually got a little colony of pyramidal orchids here on the right of the drive, which I think must have been originally a sort of a better bit because unfortunately a lot of this farm was so heavily fertilized when we came here 30 years ago with chemical fertilizers. Wildflowers really struggle because 
heavy clay soil holds on to the richness and also the fertilizers. But it was this pocket that hadn't been fertilized. And gradually, we've, we started with three pyramidal orchids, and now we've got about 30. Anyway, we've just harvested the seed from that, and we're putting it just in the wildflower meadow outside our kitchen. So hopefully, they'll do the same. That's so good they survived the deer. Because I, I remember when I first came to Perch Hill, seeing this little chicken-wired, yeah. like little mini obelisk over this <laughs> yes. single little orchid, like yes. no timid in the grass. So that's lovely to know. Yeah, it's They've finally it's found their feet. But I'm so glad you mentioned Dixter because I was looking at my books before we did this and a book called Meadows, Christopher Lloyd did. Yes. And I bought this mainly because Jonathan Buckley did the pictures and there's a photo of him looking very young at the very back. Oh, yes, how funny. Um, and it's, well, it's a wonderful book because all what you've just described, Jonathan photographed yeah. in the stages. Oh, brilliant. I think it's been republished. I've got the original one, but I often look at that because it really helps okay. you understand the, the processes. Oh, great. Yes, I've forgotten that one. I think I read it about 20 years ago. Well, we'll, we'll put the details of that in the podcast notes of, mm. of that particular book. And so that those aren't the only wildflower bits you've done because you've got the little um, section opposite your mum's house, haven't you? Yeah, and that was uh, sort of more, I wanted that to be a bit more ornamental. So I did do annual meadows in that to begin with. Yeah. And the difference with that was the soil was really awful soil because it was all the result of them putting it in a relief road next door to my mum's cottage. So it was really awful, not topsoil, the subsoil. Mm. So I probably, looking back, probably should have sowed perennial wildflower seed, but instead I did annual mixes for quite a few years. There's apple trees on there now, which has meant that it's become more or less grassland under the apple trees Yeah, because uh, we wanted to feel a bit covered from the town. But yeah, it goes to show that annual mixes do do very well on very poor soil, which is yeah. something you've always said. Yeah. Well, we've we've had, um, I mean, it's one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode, actually, is we've had 14 annual meadow mixes on trial here and three perennials. So we, we did exactly this very simple way of not having bare soil, in fact, but we covered the soil with some sand, and that was just to suppress any weed seed germination a little bit. And then we scattered wow. the mixes into that at the distribution they tell you. But it's sort of basically like you're, you're sort of sowing corn in a very old-fashioned way. You just do your sort of a handful and, and you, you just scatter the seeds, <laughs> not too finely. That's the key thing. So you kind of quite, quite widely distribute them. And we've found them so exciting. I mean, what's happened with the meadow mixes is various companies have put in things like Cosmos to extend the season. So you have not just the hardy annuals, which are the classic sort of cornflowers, corn poppies, corn marigolds, etc. But actually by mixing in some half hardies, you then can have something that as the hardies are going over at this time of year, the half hardies are coming into their stride. So sort of Clarkies and stuff like that. Anyway, they have been really joyful. I mean, they, they to be honest, struggle with this intense heat and mm. we haven't been watering. And so the perennial ones, uh, just as you say, have actually come through, still looking pretty nice and pretty. We, uh, we've got Dianthus carthusianorum in one of the mixes, which is that lovely, tall, um, quite spidery Dianthus. And that is still looking amazing, even in this heat. So wow. I, I want to go on doing more experiments with them. But they were certainly incredibly joyful to look at over like the coronation weekend. We had a one with cornflowers and poppies and ammy in it. 
in a sort of red, white, and blue mix. And it just looked on on the day absolutely splendid. So I do think that if you want just a scatter in into a pot, even into a window box or into an area like where you park the car or whatever, there's nothing more joyful in a way. And we've left ours now, partly to, that they'll drop their seed down, but also for the birds so that the birds are eating the nigella seed at the moment. And when I got up this morning and opened the, the doors, it's just above it. And uh, there was a flurry of goldfinches. That's got a name, hasn't it? A flock of goldfinches. I can never remember. A it. charm. A charm. Well done. Arthur. Charm of goldfinches. A charm of goldfinches. <laughs> anyway, it was very nice. But they're beginning to look a bit too brown now. So I think mm. um, next week or the week after with this drought, we'll probably clear them and start to re-sow. And that's why now is a really good time to be thinking about these things. If you want, you know, just either a temporary one-year meadow or, like Arthur, a perennial meadow, it's a really, really great time to sow them. Yeah, I mean, they need the wet and the cold a little bit, don't they? I think that's why it's such a good time to be talking about this. And I would say if if you're buying seed from a shop or a garden centre, do put it in the fridge or the freezer for a week before you sow because the, the wildflowers... They almost respond very well, don't they, to temperature fluctuations as, yeah. as seed. Yeah. And I think a lot of people find that things don't germinate until the winter after they've been chucked yes. on land. Whereas if you if you do put them in the fridge so they feel the cold now and then you sow them between September and October, they will germinate with the hopefully once the, the autumn dews start to come, that will really help to to get things germinating. So the cold snap will force them into thinking they've had winter, so yeah. then they'll germinate. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, I think absolutely. lots of perennials, that does seem to break dormancy. And I suppose we ought to just mention yellow rattle, which yes. certainly I know in Christopher Lloyd's book, there's, there's quite a bit about yellow rattle. And yellow rattle, I'm sure lots of you know, but I'm just going to explain quickly for those of you who don't. It's an, a parasitical annual and it looks like almost like a lamium or a salvia, the, the flower, and then it has these little, uh, well, no, quite big uh, seed heads, which look like a child's rattle. And if you pick a whole stem and shake them, it is like a, a rattle. <laughs> and what they do is they, they're annual, but they germinate in the autumn, September, October, and they then, their roots go down and are parasitical on the roots of the stronger grasses. So then what happens is that your grass is depleted in strength. You still need the grass, so you can't use yellow rattles successfully in a meadow like yours with no grass. So it's more for lawns turning them into wildflower meadows. And it suppresses the strength of the grass, and that then opens up the sward and allows you either to sow or to put plugs or allow nature to sow things like orchids and and the more interesting like vetches and the wild carrot, etc., and the yarrows and things to creep in. So yellow rattle is another thing very relevant to now. You have to get fresh seed. If you can possibly get it from a friend who's got some that is stored from this year, that is perfect. But if not, Emmelsgate Seed has wonderful yellow rattle. And our company does too. What a lovely name. Yes, it's good. It's a very good wildflower (laughs) company. And Sarah, what I love about your bits, uh, your parts of wildflower meadows at Perch is you've you've added lots of bulbs, haven't you? Particularly narcissi. Yes, yeah. And and species tulips do really well. So Yeah, that shogun one. Yeah. And Sylvestris, which is scented, does incredibly well. And actually the lady tulip. And peppermint stick also looks beautiful, but mainly the narcissus thrive. And actually, the 
The little grape hyacinth called Muscari Valerie Finis has done well here too in uh, grass. Yeah, so they're all lovely. great for naturalizing. Thank you, Arthur. Um, I think that's a very good thing to do at this time of year. And so don't think you've take your boots off and get your gardening gloves off. There's still tons and tons <laughs> of things to do that we're going to be covering in the next few weeks. So moving from gardening jobs into feasting, next week, I'm going to be joined by Claire Thompson, who's written the most wonderful cookbook on tomatoes. So it's tomato recipes from around the world, really. See you then. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.